Welcome to the NCO Journal podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Today, we discuss the article, Fixing the System, How Leaders Can Prevent Complex Problems, with Sergeant Major Robert Nelson and Retired Command Sergeant Major Gabriel Arnold from the Department of Army Operations at the Sergeant's Major Academy. With us is Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, Senior Editor at the NCO Journal. Okay, before we kick things off, could you please tell us a bit about yourselves? We'll start with you, Sergeant Major Nelson. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Um, so first, I want to say thanks for, for having myself, Mr. Arnold, here. It really is an honor. It's a pleasure for us to be able to share a little bit about our insights uh, about this article and some other stuff. So about myself in particular, I've been in the Army for 29 years. I'm originally from a place called Susanville, California. Uh, I came in as a combat medic and have had a variety of different jobs since then. I'm currently the vice chair for the Department of Army Operations at the Sergeant's Majors Academy. And um, I think that's kind of it in a nutshell. Mr. Arnold. And Command Sergeant Major retired Gabriel Arnold. So I finished up uh, a 32 year career as a CBRN professional in November of 2020. Uh, I finished as part of cohort two, the fellowship uh, that we do here at the Sergeant Majors Academy which is you pursue your master's degree for a year, then you teach on the platform for two years, then might spend your third year as a member of the staff. And uh, I just I just loved what, what we did here at the SAR Majors Academy. So I, I put my eye on trying to come back here uh, and I was able to successfully do so. So right now I'm the chair for the Department of Army Operations and we lead and help develop the next uh, cohort of senior enlisted leaders for the Army. All right, let's get started. Can you please tell me about what it is that inspired you to write this article? I think the idea first came came to me probably about two years ago. I was taking a class for my doctorate degree, and it was on organizational improvement. And one of the first things that we started talking about was, that, was this idea of the fundamental attribution error, where it's basically where we're blaming people for system failures. And it was kind of like one of those profound moments where the phrase was every system is perfectly designed to get the results it's perfectly doing for that phrase it kind of hit me and it started making me think about times over the last you know 20 something years where i might have blamed a soldier for maybe being unmotivated or or lazy or you know pick the word when really if i had dug down into it a little bit deeper it was probably a system issue causing the problem compared to the person who is operating in, in the system. So I don't know, it really kind of hit me hard. I thought about that through the rest of my degree program. And uh, when I finished, uh, me and Mr. Arnold, we, we talked about this kind of thing quite a bit uh, and trying to figure out how we're going to train the next leaders uh, for the Army, next senior enlisted leaders for the Army. And this is just one of those topics that kept coming back up again and again. So uh, I thought he and I ought to write an article about it. That's kind of where it came from. The other the other portion of it is, you know, once we became an accredited college in 2019, there's really a focus and kind of a an emphasis on getting both the instructors that serve here to write, you know, share their education experience, their ability to do research. You know, it's, it's a highly educated bunch of folks that work here, but also to get the students to write because there's really in the Army, as far as a non-commissioned officer's perspective is, is concerned, there's no real push 
or, or emphasis on, hey, you should write, you should get published. And so we look at uh, writing as a form of scholarship to be able to get that education and experience and research uh, out there, not only to the organization, but to a larger audience. And so it really goes back to uh, the concept of leadership. So we're asking our instructors to write. So we also got to kind of set that example and, and also do it. So that, that was part of the inspiration uh, as well. Sorry, Major Nelson, uh, you said that you kind of had a moment where you realized that this uh, fundamental attribution was something that was occurring in the, in the Army. Um, what, was there a specific experience that you thought to when, uh, when you found this out? Honestly, from probably the, the time that I was a, a staff sergeant um, on up to a sergeant major, whenever something would go wrong, my initial impact or my initial thought was to look at the person who had, who had done the wrong or, or whatever it was and, and blame them to attribute an attribution to that person that said that they were a lazy, unmotivated individual. They were not smart. They didn't care about fitness. They didn't care about the army's values, you know, name, name, name the, name the problem. And it was always the people kind of causing it. Um, but really, I, I think, I think when I, when I thought about these problems in the view of it, looking at it from a systems perspective, it's hard to change human behavior, but it's easy to kind of tweak systems. So once I realized, hey, these people are just responding to their environment and the system, kind of the system they're operating in, no matter what it is, uh, I don't know, it kind of struck me as something that was profound that I needed to really think about, um, which kind of leads me to what Mr. Arnold just talked about, where you know, he's mentioned, hey, we, we need to kind of set the example. We want people to write publish. We need to do it ourselves. But that's led us to kind of take a step back and look at the system. So right now, we, I don't think we get enough MCOs contributing to the you know academic body of knowledge in the Army. And part of the reason for that is there's nothing in the system that encourages folks to write. So instead of thinking, hey, we have a bunch of ignorant non-commissioned officers that aren't able to write or don't care about writing, you know, that's really not the case. We have good people that are trying to do the right thing, but the system doesn't encourage that. So I think really almost any, any problem that you can think of this kind of applies to, um, you know, from really the squad leader up to the Sergeant Major of the Army or the Chief of Staff, really, if you want to really look at it. So that's kind of a bunch of rambling, but that, that's kind of my initial thoughts on that. One of, the, one of the things that just came up while you were talking, Sergeant Major, is the fundamental attribution error. So if you don't have all the information, how can you make the system work? In other words, say uh, the, the example that used in the article about a soldier being late for formation. Uh, you, can, uh, you can assume that he is late, that, uh, that he's lazy, that he overslept. Uh, but if you don't gather the information as a good NCO, and if you don't talk to him and find out, okay, hey, what's going on? He might have had... He might be going through a divorce. He might. What if his car broke down? What if um, he has to take his kid to school every morning and he's late to formation? So, if without digging in for that information, how are you going to be able to make that system work? Uh, am I right in, in assuming that that's kind of what what you're talking about as far as also not just the system itself, but having it work correctly if you if you're able to kind of round everything out? A absolutely. So, if if you kind of look at Carnegie's principles for system improvement. Uh, the third principle of seeing the system is really probably 
other than that, the identification of, of the problem or the variance that's happening, that's really the most important part is to be able to visualize all the aspects of the system and to keep going beyond once you think you have, once, once you think you can see it all. Um, so if you look at the soldier, right, if we just use that, that example, in, in seeing the system, we take, instead of just saying, hey, he's late, he's lazy, we start looking at some of the reasons that might have fed into that person being late for the formation, you know, alarm clock not going off, you know, having problems, transportation, car breaking down, stuff like that. Um, the first step in seeing that system is looking at those things. The second step and the more the, the larger and more broader step that I think is really important is trying to diagnose why is this person not fixed this problem themselves? That's a bigger part of the system that needs needs to be seen. You know, what what else is going on? Why why is and it depends what level you're at. If you're the squad leader, you're kind of the first line of defense. So you will probably figure this stuff out. But let's say it goes on over a period of time and the platoon sergeant gets involved or the first sergeant or, you know, God forbid, the sergeant major. At some point, there's a system breakdown somewhere where things aren't getting fixed or the the fixes aren't working and people just, they're not looking at it in the right way. So I, I think really stepping back and make, you can almost make a storyboard. Uh, of possible reasons why why this is happening and then you just got to dig down that one more step i think to really get a bigger picture of of what's going on before you make judgments and and tr try to fix something that maybe isn't broken it's interesting if i could add that just for, for a second um because you mentioned you know what's the real problem you know maybe this soldier is is uh is going through a divorce so, you know, you got a, a young soldier that's operating within a system serving in their unit, as an example, but you also got that same soldier that may be operating in a family system. And so, you know, in order to kind of find out what's really going on, maybe, you know, we talk about the attribution area where we, we automatically say, oh, this, this is an undisciplined soldier. Or, they can't ever show up on time and they don't care what have you. Um, are we asking the questions to try to figure out what's going on in their personal life so that maybe we can get them the assistance they need to help them fix their family system so they can better operate within you know the unit system that makes sense what do you think leaders could do to help them see things from their soldiers perspective more clearly oh man i, I feel like i'm getting all, all the complicated questions where there's no really short answer <laughs> sorry for so much in fact, we have another article hopefully coming out about talking too much, but I'll <laughs> say that one for later. Um, so the, the first thing I think, it, it depends what, 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 what the problem is. But let's say, you know, it, it's the soldiers coming in late. We'll just take this as a very simple example of it, right? So the first thing you're going to do is kind of remember what it was like when you were a soldier and some of the obstacles that maybe you faced at, at, at the time and then realize that times have gotten a little more complicated since then. There are a lot more distractions. There's a lot of things that soldiers are dealing with now that I didn't have to worry about. You know, I didn't have to worry about staying up playing on Facebook late at night when I, or, or on World of Warcraft or I don't know what exactly it is that soldiers, what video games are playing, but that wasn't a problem because those things didn't exist when I was younger. But that's, that's something that kind of complicates things now. So number one, kind of remember what it was like for you and then realize things have gotten more complicated. And then number two is you need to realize that soldiers are always going to lie to you. 
that sounds terrible. That sounds like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a version of the fundamental attribution error right there, but it's surely not. Um, the, in fact, the further you go up in rank, the further you get separated from the truth. And the reason that is soldiers don't want to really necessarily tell you what's going on. You know, they want to tell you what they think you want to hear because they want to please you. That's on the general, right? Some people are a little more correct and honest, but mostly people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear. And that's definitely true in, in a CSM position. Right. Um, I, I had all sorts of soldiers tell me I was great and awesome and good looking and intelligent and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, none of that was probably true. Right. So, Sorry, Major, that was your you know, Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I said, Sorry, Major, that was your mom, I believe. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, yeah. uh, and it, I'll tell you from a staff sergeant position, I'm sure that you know, um, if I if I talk with the sergeant major, it's, yes, sergeant major, everything's great. Um, right. The mission is going according to plan. I'm going to make it happen no matter what. And that's all I you, th that I tell you. And that's because that's that's what we live in. But Yeah. You think that's what I want to hear, right? Exactly. So, but, so soldiers, leaders have to realize that people are going to tell them that. There, there is, hey, yeah, Roger, I'm doing great. Whatever the mission needs, that sort of thing. So what you got to really do is examine your data sources. So if I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this soldier, and I realize he's probably not going to tell me really what's going on in his life unless I've really got a relationship and really have a certain level of trust where they feel comfortable telling me the truth, I've got to talk to their friends. And I've got to have their friends, who, whoever they're talking to, you know, maybe give me a little bit better intel so I can visualize more of the system better and maybe see it from their perspective. I mean, heck, who knows? You know, maybe the, the first sergeant gets involved in this particular issue and it turned out the squad leader's been keeping this guy late, you know, until 10 o'clock every night, you know, doing dumb details for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe that's not visible. Maybe the soldier's not going to tell us about that. So, you know, being able to visualize that and finding out the real data is, is I think, one of the real challenges. Um, for soldiers. And then the other two things I think leaders can do if they're trying to understand things from soldiers' perspective is number one, uh, read a lot. Read about psychology, uh, read about human development, invest a little bit of time in your own growth so you can pick up on some of the subtle uh, variations in, in, in people's characters and in the way they act so you can identify maybe when things are going off the tracks and you know study it. So I, I think those a little bit of reading, a little bit of study, a little bit of self-reflection is real valuable in trying to understand other people's perspectives and motivations for doing things. So ooh, long answer, but that, that's it. You guys mind if I add to that for a second? I'm Please. Definitely Absolutely. Want to yeah. and, by the way, it's against the Geneva Convention that SAR majors don't always add to something. So right. I wasn't expecting you, have, you have to use the word caveat. I won't use the word caveat, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so again, seeing seeing things from a soldier's perspective again I, you know i'm a retiree so you know, i probably don't know too much but uh we use this term called engaged leadership so so what does that look like you know it's it's really more than a buzzword uh and, and what it means I, I can give you an example is really trying to get to know your soldiers so if you look at the dynamic of let's say a division sergeant major does that mean the division sergeant major should go down to one of his artillery batteries and get to know the soldiers no, that's that's not realistic. But what that could mean is not only is he getting to know his brigade level SAR majors, but he's also making an effort and, in, you know, in, in conjunction with our, how we do leader development, which is supposed to be two levels down, this same division SAR major makes an effort to get to know 
you know, his battalion sergeant majors, which those folks are a little bit closer to the ground. Uh, and so when we say engage leadership, it, it, it takes a lot of effort to get that done. And this can work right on down the line if you use the concept of a first sergeant, you know, that first sergeant trying to get to know his squad leaders, which are two levels down. And again, they're closer to what's really going on. So, so that's how you can, I think, increase your chances of gaining and maintaining the soldier's perspective. And uh, uh, somebody Nelson put a, a note in front of me here. We, we worked on recently uh, in support of the SMA. So he came here to talk to us and he goes, yeah, you know, you, we're saying this is my squad and you get to know them, but do you really know them? You know, where did they come from? What did they value growing up? You know, did they grow up poor? Did they grow up a farmer? Did they grow up, you know, partially a criminal? What have you? And so we started doing that here within the department. Myself and, and uh, Sergeant Major Nelson kind of talked about what shaped us prior to entering the Army, you know, what we value. And then we directed the instructors by room to share uh, in the following weeks. And what they do is they use a slide deck and put pictures that were meaningful to them and then talk to the department about it. So it's pretty valuable and we got to know each other a little bit better. I really like that idea, Sergeant Major. Um, what, what do you see that the Army could do to help incorporate some of these ideals that you have into the system now? And, and it's interesting you said that because the center, the Non-Commissioned Officer Leadership Center of Excellence, posted the article and then uh, Sergeant Major of the Army retired Chandler says, uh, great article, guys. Now what do we do? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. kind of say, like, you know, how do we implement some of this stuff? Right, but right, it's, right. It's, it's a great question. Um, as a matter of fact, Rob, you gave him a pretty good answer. And really, it focused, the answer focused back on what we wrote about is, you know, the whole attribution of not targeting the individual, but looking at systems as a way to improve things. You know, and there's there's several different systems uh, within just a, a company battery troop unit uh, that you can look at to tweak and to try to make things better, to try to change behavior and things like that. So that's not not very specific, but so I got one actually. So okay. if we're talking about maybe this is my squad and understanding where people have come from or getting to know your soldiers or being able to visualize a system, the the first step here. It, it, when, when you look about the, at the Carnegie's principle is making the work problem specific and user centered, right? So you identify what the problem is from the users, but then whatever changes you make to the system have to be easy for the users to use. Sounds kind of straightforward, but a lot of times we mess that up. So let's say if, if we really think that people don't know their squads well enough, or, you know, we want to start asking them why did, why is it did, did they not have the time? Do they not feel that they can engage enough? You know, the counseling tools that we have, are they not useful enough? So I know one of the things the Sergeant Major of the Army is working on it is he's got a initiative groups. So they're trying to get an app put together for people to use as, as a potentially a counseling tool that's easy. So if you can make counseling easy, you can maybe make a portion of that that's related to you know, sharing information about about your squad amongst a couple of the people that are in it. You know, you can upload pictures or talk about stuff or who knows, there, there's various tweaks that you could make. But the whole idea of, of what I'm trying to say here is whatever solution that we come up with, it's gotta be extremely simple and it's gotta be easy for the piece, people that we want to do it, to use it. If the more complications we add in, the more steps we add to processes, 
the more likely it's not going to happen. So we talked about you know sharing stuff in, a, in the in our current department, um, just on a slide deck, on pictures using a Google Drive. Super easy to use, super simple. And now and we actually archived it and it gave us great insights into our, our people's personalities and what's going on, which enables us to understand them better. And when something's not right, when there's variation in performance, you know, we have a larger system view that we can look at. So again, kind of a long sort of rambling answer, but that's, I think that's kind of uh, the broad solution. I do know, uh, I just came from 10th Mountain actually, and there was, we would set up about, I think once a quarter, we'd set up a day, um, kind of like a, this is my squad training day. And what they would do is they would have us get together into small groups of maybe five to 10 people, like our shop size. And then we would just talk about anything, uh, try and get to know each other. I don't know. Do you guys think that that's kind of the a right step in the direction of what you're trying to talk about here? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a piece of seeing this system, right? So I mean, we, we talked about, you know, principles for, or it, it's almost like a checklist on how you can modify a particular system to maybe change the outcomes. It, but like when you really start trying to see the system, I think understanding the people that are operating within it is super important. Um, because what the last thing you want to do is make make a change to the system that is going to be detrimental to the people working in it. Um, I'm try, trying to think of a of a clean example of this uh, where we would change something, but it, it would maybe be contrary to the culture or the backgrounds of people that are working in it and actually cause more harm than than uh, than good. But I can't come to a clean one off my head. There, so. There's if this is in the ballpark, you know, the, the army's got a, what they call the ready and resilient campaign and basically all installations, I think it's quarterly, uh, conduct what they call a community health promotion council. That's what it used to be called. And that's where they, they integrate uh, the services of the garrison, hospital commander, brigade commanders, and CSMs. And, and it's really about risk reduction, suicide prevention, uh, sometimes in discipline. And, uh, you know, you got a bunch of smart folks who have a lot of positional power uh, on these councils. But let's say, for example, if we're trying to get after suicide prevention, and hypothetically, if those suicide, if that suicidal demographic is young soldiers between the ages of 17 and 24, do we really have the right folks on that council trying to solve the problem of suicide? Or coming up with the best ideas for suicide prevention, maybe we should target some of those folks within that demographic to attend those councils and give those ideas that are needed of what's really happening on the ground to help fix the problem. Yeah. If you can find ones that will tell you the truth, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that's true. All right, gentlemen, I, I I'm, I'm jumping back into Carnegie's principles. Uh, your your article, you have six principles, and we've kind of touched on several here. But overall, I think, and if you if you read the article, and every it flows very well, it, it explains everything. But I think, based on on, like if you were to look at say a young staff sergeant, like uh, such as uh, Staff Sergeant Cox here, he is uh, busy. He has uh, uh, he doesn't have a lot of time to digest this and maybe try to make more what, I, what i'm saying is can you make it can you can you uh, can you narrow it down and make it 
package it to us, the six principles, in a way that, that would uh, explain it to a young NCO, maybe help that person, uh, that NCO, regardless of whether he's young NCO or even a, a more seasoned one that's such as yourselves, uh, maybe package it up and, and, and uh, be able to consume it and use it. If you look at the six core principles, um, the first one is make the work problem specific and user-centered. The bottom line with that is you have to identify the problem you're trying to solve, right? So if you're going back to the situation of a soldier coming late formation, is the problem, hey, this guy is late, is that the problem you're trying to solve? Or is the problem, hey, this guy's got a bad attitude and doesn't care, kind of maybe a fundamental attribution error? Or is the problem that his life is too complex and there's too many things going on? So you have to identify the problem. Once the problem is identified, you're going to look at the variations in the performance. So what variations are there? It's coming to work on time. It's coming to work late. There are two variations. Um, and that's important for measurement later on. The next step is seeing the system. That's where it takes the most time, where you're really trying to get a holistic view of what's going on. You're going to collect as much data as you can. You're going to try to map it out. And this sounds like maybe it's a long process, but it doesn't have to be. In, in the case of, of the gentleman or 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 or, or person coming late to formation, um, that, that can probably be mapped out in like five or 10 minutes with what you know. Talk to a couple other soldiers, maybe see what's going on in that person's life, maybe add a couple of things to, to your little concept map, and then you've got a pretty good idea of, of what that looks like. Um, and, and then it's coming up with, with ways to measure it, um, which goes back to the variation in the system. We've identified this one's very simple. You're either on time or you're late. Um, or if you're if you are on time, how are you on time by like 30 seconds or are you on time by five minutes? So there's a couple of different ways that you can measure um, coming in. You need to identify those because if you can't measure it, you can't see if it's improving. And again, this can really be applied to anything. So once you identify your measures, um, you're going to come up with what, what they call a, a PDSA cycle, which is a rapid way to implement changes in the system and see what works. So the way this works, if we're looking at the soldier that's coming in late, a PDSA approach would be we've identified, let's say, four or five different causes or potential things that are wrong in the system that need to be changed. Number one, he says his alarm clock's always broke or broken. So for in a PDSS, in a PDSA approach to this, is hey, we can give this guy a new alarm clock and see if it fixes it. We're not going to necessarily implement every change that we need that we think needs to be made. We're just going to do the simplest one and see if it works. Wait, wait a day or two. If it works, problem solved. We've solved it simply. If it doesn't work, we can go on to the next step. All right. So he says his car is always breaking down. Is his car really breaking down? Let's see if we can figure out some reliable transportation options. So alarm clock's fixed. Transportation's fixed. If that works, problem solved. If not, you go on to the next thing. So the reason you do it this way is so you can study and learn and try to figure out what's really going on. If, if we identify five different issues and we try to implement them all at once, and nothing works, then we really haven't seen the system and we haven't really understood what, what's going on because we haven't made the right changes. But So that's uh, the sixth principle that you're talking about right now. Is that correct? Uh, no, that, 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 that's, that's five. That's the discipline. Five. Oh, you're still five. Okay. PSA cycles. Um, the last one is, is the network community piece. So this is kind of like almost an after action type thing. But what this basically is saying is we try to learn from other people that have had similar problems. So in the case of the soldier coming late, Maybe there's um, leadership development programs in the in the battalion or the brigade or something where squad leaders get together and they talk about, you know, soldier problems that they've had for 
you know, we used to call this NCO call way back in the day. You know, the last weekend of the month, we all meet up at the bar after work and, you know, we just talk, talk shop for a little bit before we went home. And uh, a lot of times you would share good ideas and that's kind of a network community um, where we're talking about, hey, you know, I had this soldier that was coming in late, you know, alarm clock didn't work, transportation didn't work, but what finally worked when I got him some, you know, help, some counseling with his marriage because his wife's been keeping him up late, they've been fighting all night, right? So he's been oversleeping. So it's a way just to share ideas so everyone doesn't have to go through the entire process of understanding a system and seeing it before they can they can start implementing their own PDSA cycles. So again, a little bit long answer, but I think in a nutshell that that hopefully describes it. Also, like if you're looking at step six and, and you look at the term network communities, if, if that sounds kind of too big, then another way of looking at that is building relationships. And that's a that's what we talk about here at the academy because building relationships allows certain majors to make things happen for their organization. It's you can call it networking, you can call it building relationships. But the younger an NCO is that understands that it's important to build relationships, they're, they're gonna have a lot more success in trying to get things done because they're gonna be able to reach out to folks. Speaking of uh, Carnegie's six principle, Sergeant Major, accelerating improvements through network communities. Can you talk about that curriculum alignment and how it improved mission accomplishment? For the Sergeant Major Academy. Yeah. And so, CGSC. I don't know how much the listeners know about the background behind the Sergeant's Major course, but it, it was significantly different prior to class 60. Um, somewhere in the class 50s, they decided we wanted to really align with what uh, IOE was teaching the majors under the Command and General Staff College. So essentially what we did, it was a form of a network community where under Army University, we reached out, got a hold of their curriculum or they gave it to us, which whichever way it happened, they said, hey, this is working really well. We're gonna share what we've learned. And we modeled our curriculum completely after what they've been, been doing at IOE for many years. Um, and it, Quite frankly, it's been tremendously successful because we didn't have to go through the process of making all the mistakes ourselves and refining all the curriculum. We got what they built and we were able to refine that a little bit for the non-commissioned officers. And it's morphed a little since class 60, but uh, I, I think it really gave us a, a, a huge leap because we didn't have to invent the wheel ourselves. You know, we, we already took a wheel that was working pretty well, you know, changed it a little bit to fit, fit, fit the car of the non-commissioned officer, you will. And, um, it's helped us to learn and we still do that today uh if if they change something right right now uh we're we're talking about we use the decisive action training scenario it's something called date world where we we do a lot of our military planning and stuff like that or our training for planning um cgsc is switching to a different theater of operation within date world so they can train on something a little more relevant to uh real life as we transition out of coin to large-scale combat operations or uh from decisive, not decisive action, but um, well, yeah, unified yeah. land operations, thank yeah. you, to, to a large scale combat operations in multi-domain environment. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're learning from them and we're borrowing what, what they've already developed to, to make our course better. And hopefully we're sharing some good stuff with them too. So sorry, I stepped on you. No, no, I, I was just, if I could give you guys an example too of what we're talking about as far as the curriculum. So if you look at our old curriculum, we got a, a successful master sword you know, finishes the pinnacle of our professional military education here at the Sergeant Majors Academy, becomes a Sergeant Major. They go out to the field, they get linked up with their officer counterpart. Typically, it's a major. 
uh, it's time to go out to the field, you know. So the Sergeant Major, uh, just as an example, he's going to be responsible for making sure that the Tactical Operations Center is set up and running appropriately. He's, he, he's going to work on like guard rosters. Maybe he's going to help with the battle rhythm. But once all those things are complete and, and the systems are running, then what? So I'll give you an example of the military decision-making process. The SAR major now knows the seven steps of the military decision-making process. They know the second step of mission analysis and, that, and the fact that there's 18 subtasks that go into mission analysis. So this allows a SAR major, because and I don't want to undervalue the, the, the things I talked about, like setting up the talk and battle rhythms and managing personnel. Uh, those are all important. But now the SAR major is better armed to also help their officer counterpart, you know, current operations utilizing the military decision-making process. And so we think we're providing a better SAR major who, who is, um, is able to think, uh, more critically and creatively and is more agile and adaptive. So we're, we're getting good feedback and that's how we think uh, these curriculum changes have helped uh, the operational force. Yeah, it helps them see the system, right? It's something I think we've been focused on. I, I feel like we're doing okay at it. Does the Army have these type of principles in place already in some form and how do they work? The Army currently has got what they, there are three different approaches to problem solving. There's three problem solving methodologies. One is troop leading procedures, it's for the company level and below. The other one is the military decision making process, which is Mr. Arnold started to describe. It's a seven step process, it's got tons of sub steps and it's super sort of complicated. That's kind of your operational level uh, problem solving process for um, medium and well structured problems. And then we have a problem solving process for ill structured problems uh, called. Uh, Army design methodology, which is typically kind of a strategic level uh, type tool. So those three problem solving methodologies are in place. They work, they're good, they're very similar. And in fact, ADM is probably the closest to Carnegie's principles because it really focuses on framing the operational environment in forms of a system. And we teach something called systems thinking. It's very closely related to that. The problem is you don't necessarily see that until you come here to the Sergeant Majors Academy and we start talking about it. But it's really useful at the squad leader level to have a, I mean, it, we, we say it's an ill-structured strategic um, level problem solving tool, but really it, it can be for simple day-to-day -day problems where you're trying to understand what's going on in your environment and what possible changes uh, the system could introduce. So yeah, those things exist. They're taught at the curriculum. Um, and, you know, my humble opinion, we could probably teach some of these things maybe at our earlier level to uh, maybe help folks be a little bit better at um, solving complex issues. Um, the vernacular right now, the popular term is is upstream, you know, getting upstream with those issues. I think um, this kind of helps with that. I guess an, another example of an Army system uh, that, that is in place to improve something, if you look back at Carnegie uh, principle number four, what, what we measure. So, so basically, you know, you know, don't expect what you don't inspect. And so if you look at medical readiness, which is incredibly important to the Army, because if you're not medically ready, you can't deploy. And that's kind of what we're all about. Uh, you know, you have the MedPro system. And um, every leader from, you know, probably down at the platoon level all the way up to, you know, Army level it is concerned with medical readiness. So it is a system in place where everybody is measuring it and paying attention to it. Uh, so that's that's another example of a system that the Army has in place that that focuses on improving medical readiness and measuring it.
had a question. I, I believe that you guys kind of answered it earlier, but in Carnegie's third principle, principle um, NCOs gather information on soldiers by asking them uh, what their motivations are for leaving or re-enlisting in the Army. Do you think that that understanding would help retain soldiers after receiving that information, and does that improve your leadership? I think part part of the issue is, is how we're, or not issue, but you asked if it helps our understanding and changes potentially leadership to understand why soldiers are exiting the army. Um, yes, sir, so you have to be careful what what we look at because a lot of times the data we collect from soldiers leaving the army or from exit interviews and people already made their decision to get out. And you really have to question the truthfulness of what you're hearing. Uh, right. Are soldiers just saying, what we think we want them to hear, like, yeah, I'm getting out because I got bad leadership or the barracks weren't good or, you know, I don't get paid enough, which is probably true in some cases. But really, unless you're gathering data from maybe peers who understand or, or maybe even family members who understand why the soldier is really exiting the service, um, you got to, I guess you got to kind of understand that first before you start taking action. But if you can really understand it, if you can really get a good picture on it, you shouldn't change your leadership to account for whatever the problem is, if it's something you can do something about. So if, if, if we figure out that, hey, op tempo is really the thing that's driving folks to exit the army earlier in their careers, there's not a lot you can really do about that. You know, the op tempo is what it is. The world is chaotic and complex, and we're going to be called on frequently to do things that are, that are hard. And it's going to cause separation from family. We can't adjust that. But hey, if it's hey, my squad leader, you know, never counseled me in four years, and you know, I don't feel I've had opportunities for promotion. And nobody values me. Well, if if that turns out to be the case, and I think there's something we can do a little bit about that. So, um, I guess to really answer your question is it depends on what the data shows, and it depends on how reliable and valid that data is and where it comes from. But is there anything that you guys would like to add about this that maybe we didn't hit? I think we address this, but one comment that I, I want to make sure kind of gets out there is in the article, we talk about a very simple process of a soldier coming in late in formation that we could use Carnegie's principles to kind of understand, get after, and change. Really, this process is applicable from the squad leader to the president of the United States. There's a significant amount of literature and science behind Carnegie's principles on system improvement and they work um, if, if done well. I mean, they don't all, you might not always fix the problem. Uh, some of them are super complicated and seeing the system, like for example, in the case of suicide, it's super complicated and it's hard to understand. But if you, if you can really get through it, if you can really visualize it, this stuff really works. So it's, it's not just for simple problems, it's for uh, medium and, and ill-structured problems as well. And, and I just wanted to say one more thing about identifying the problem because sometimes that seems like that's easy to do uh, you know i think the original version of the article had the einstein quote on there said you know if I, if I was trying to solve a problem i'd spend 55 minutes you know thinking about the problem and five minutes solving it and then it, it makes me think of uh i was at a trout out conference in 2012 and that's when they first started talking about the acft and, and changing the apft not probably not the first time but the first time it started getting to that level and and general perkins at the time the trout commander kept asking the question well what's the problem and as you go around the room with those senior leaders 
you were getting a, a large variation of answers that were a lot different from each other. So if we don't take that much needed time to really identify the problem, what we end up getting after is trying to fix a symptom. And uh, that problem is never going to go away. I just want to emphasize that. That it brings up an interesting question with me, listening to you guys talk about that, because what you guys said really resonated with me at my level. So identifying the problem, I, I feel like when I was reading your article and I was reading these principles, that seemed to be the number one thing, right? Because it's so hard to get the actual truth out of a soldier. And even if that is the truth, or even if they know what the truth is about their own life or their own problems, they, they may not even know exactly what's wrong. And so I, I, my question is, from both of you, um, what is something that a staff sergeant can um, can do or implement to try and identify the problem? And then also, what is something a sergeant major could do? If you give me like two examples. I'll give you one. And again, it, it may not be a good one, but... So we, we look at what, the way technology has changed the way we communicate these days. You know, uh, we're doing leadership through text. Not that that's bad. I, I think we have to be able to communicate on, on multiple different platforms, you know, multi-domain operations. But I think what gets lost sometimes is we don't get to know our soldiers. And if we don't get to know them, we're really not going to be able to figure out what's going on. What is the problem? And so again, I say engage leadership, and I say get to know your soldiers, but that is a, a significant investment and commitment and time and effort. Uh, so it it's it's something that I think is a solution to solving problems, getting to know your soldiers better. Uh, but it takes a Herculean effort, in, in my opinion. So that's that's one example. But I would I'm going to keep saying that to folks to get to know their soldiers. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with Mr. Arnold on that. So at the staff sergeant level, that's probably key is, is getting to know the soldiers to a point where they trust you enough to talk about what's going on so that you can help them identify problems that they might not see. At the sergeant major level, it's getting to know your soldiers. It's setting the example. So we're preaching this stuff, right? Like, hey, we're sergeant majors. We're bit sergeant majors. We, we teach future sergeant majors. We want you to do this. If we're not doing it ourselves for our own people, it makes us a bunch of hypocrites. And all people do is look at us like, hey, you're talking about stuff you're not doing. So from the sergeant major perspective or any senior leader, it is critical that you set the example and you do what you want your soldiers to do because they're looking at you. It, some, it always bothered me when I would sit in a meeting and get told by my senior people on things that I needed to do and they weren't doing them for me. They're saying, hey, get to know your soldiers. All right. How many of you know where I'm from or how my wife grew up? That's the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm not saying it's wrong. We shouldn't do it. But, hey, set the example. The best teacher we have is the example that people set. So I sound like I'm preaching a little bit on there because I do feel a little bit passionate about leaders doing the right thing and setting the example. Uh, but I think that's really what you can do at the start major level and then what Mr. Arnold said at the squad leader level um, or, or your level, sorry, Fox, whatever is appropriate for you. Yes, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking part in this conversation and, uh, and adding so much more uh, dimension to your article. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us. And thank you, our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. 
Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time. NCO Journal Podcast. <laughs>